Welcome to the 54th episode of the New Ventures podcast. I'm your host, Sanjoy Sanyal, the founder of Regain Paradise, a boutique climate finance firm and a visiting fellow at the Cambridge Judge Business School. I host the New Ventures podcast to help people starting climate initiatives learn from others who are already progressed in their paths. Our guest for today is Mr. Christopher Baker-Bryan, the CTO of BeBox, which provides energy and other essential services to customers in Africa. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Christopher, it's a very special episode today. You started your business 13 years back. I started my career in climate exactly at the same time. You started from a small office in Rwanda. And, you know, look how far you've come. It's been an amazing journey over the last 13 years that we've been been running Bbox and and great to be here today to share some of those lessons that we've learned and some of those experiences that we've had uh, with your listeners. I'm really delighted to do that. And absolutely, it's it's been a great journey over the last 13 years from a, a very small startup with just the three founders, myself and, and two other individuals, to a business today, which has uh, some 1,600 employees across 14 countries, mainly in Africa, but also in, in Europe and Asia, and has served uh, 3.5 million people with access to energy and other essential services now over the last few years. So, um, yeah, really excited to share some of those things over the course of the next half an hour or so. Half an hour or so. How many countries in Africa are you? So we're in 10 countries on the continent. We started in Rwanda, which was our first location where we opened up off-grid energy retail business uh, back in the early 2010 decade and have since grown and progressed. Actually, last year, we acquired a, a business in West Africa with four new markets as part of some of the consolidation that's happening in this sector at the moment. And so that was quite an exciting moment to to take our brand and our platform and our products and, and introduce that to four additional markets uh, through this acquisition. So that's uh, also come with some challenges, as, as you can imagine. It's uh, you know really exciting to expand into, into more markets over the next few years as well. Well, I'm going to get down into one question which I've been dying to ask you. You know, 13, 14 years back when we both started our careers, people who are not connected to the grid in rural areas was much larger, right? In some countries, for example, in Asia, where I come from, Bangladesh and Cambodia, have dramatically improved grid connectivity. So here the demand for solar home systems has really plummeted. What has been your experience in Africa? So absolutely, when we started, as you said, back in, in the early 2010 period, back then, I think about 1.6 billion people around the world lacked access to electric power. That was the commonly quoted figure at the time. And, and I believe now that's less than 800 million, according to you know, the various um, bodies that, that look at these statistics. And so it has been a you know a great progress over the last more than a decade uh, by various governments around the world to connect their customers, their, their households to, to to energy and, and to, to bring them out of poverty using energy as a, as a key driver for that. Um, so and certainly customers now are becoming in off-grid areas more difficult to reach. They are, you know, the economically more challenged customers, uh, the ones in those remaining customers in those off-grid areas. Therefore, in some instances, you know, more government support, more donor support is needed to help try and reach those very challenging, very low income off-grid areas. A good example of that is, is the place where we first started in, in Rwanda. 
So back in 2010, energy access was in the, the low 20% range. Uh, and now, more than a decade later, it's it's touching 70%. In Rwanda today, we power actually just under 10% of all households uh, connected to, to B-Box. We're quite a essential part of the, the national infrastructure and from that perspective. And and look, so there's some countries where grid, 100% grid access will be achieved by the end of this decade in, in line with the UN Sustainable Development Goals for, for energy access. But there are some, there are many more where, where that won't be achieved. And population growth is also accelerating in, in many countries and across the continents. And that will provide additional challenges and additional pressures on the grid services. So I think there is still a role to play for, for solar home systems. It's not a, a short-term fix. It, it can be a long-term solution. It can be a more economically affordable and viable solution for customers. But as we can talk about later in the, in the session, we have started to look at other services now, such as clean water access, access to connectivity services and, and e-mobility to help leverage the, the network that we've built and the distribution businesses that we've uh, we've set up across the continent to provide other services to our customers over the next few years as potentially grid and electrification rates increase uh, over the coming decade. Uh, this is very interesting that you have added other services to your kitty. But just sticking to store solar for a minute, it's again very impressive that you provide electricity to 10% of Rwanda's households. One question always is that the solar home system is sometimes not more than a solar lantern, right? Does a solar home system really provide the amount of electricity that people can meaningfully use? Absolutely. It's a very common question we get asked a lot. Uh, why not put a grid connection in that can give you kilowatts rather than several watts from a, a solar home system? So energy efficiency has improved dramatically over the last decade on, on appliances. For example, a, a regular TV that, that you or I or many of your listeners might have in their home you know, back in the early 2000s was probably consuming 40, 50, 60, 70 watts of energy. And, and now a similar size TV can consume just 10 watts. And so with that, that efficiency and improvements that we've seen over the last decade, you can have a much smaller size of, of system, much smaller solar panel, much smaller battery running just on DC to give customers the experience that they need to deliver the, the entertainment they want to watch on that TV or the information they want to, to get from the news. So it's, it is possible to do that. And obviously, there are some items, particularly heating and cooling systems that do require much larger amounts of, of electricity and, and they're it's a real challenge for off-grid systems alone to provide that level of power, particularly when it comes to things like electric cooking and large cooling systems. These are difficult to run completely off-grid in an economically affordable, viable way for many of our customers. But so small solar home systems do serve a purpose. Uh, we do have a, an entry-level small solar home system brand uh, that we introduced during COVID. And, and that allows us to, to get on customers onto our platform uh, in a very low-cost way. And then understand their payment patterns and behaviours over time uh, to essentially credit score those customers to enable them to access future products and services from us as we get to trust and understand that they can be a reliable customer and, and they get to trust and, and understand the B-Box brand. So that's really how we've uh, we've developed the, uh, the range over time to get those low income customers onto those uh, low small solar home systems and then progress over time. Uh, we've got a range now of some 11 solar home systems covering everything from basic lighting up to much larger TV and, and small business applications, plus those five other product lines that I mentioned in uh, e-mobility, clean cooking and, and so on. And, and today we see around 25% of our customers per year 
that are, are taking an upgrade, going from that small solar home system gradually up the, the energy ladder, as we like to call it. We'd like that to be higher, of course, but the 25% per year is, is, is not a bad number to, to start with. 25% in a year is not a bad number at all. And we will talk much more about your customers and your products as we go along. But I wanted to pick up a little bit on the word that you used about consolidation in the industry. There have been obviously some notable failures. How did these failures affect the market? Absolutely. So the off-grid solar sector is certainly a very different place to where it was um, in, in the mid-2010s, sort of 2015, 2017 period. Uh, that was really the, the boom time for, for the sector in terms of investor attention. And, you know, the reality is, I think, over the last five, six years is that it, it is, you know, this is a very difficult business. It, you're serving very low-income customers in very remote areas with challenging products where the margins can be relatively low. So it is a, it's a difficult business to, to operate successfully in. And, and, you know, you need to be highly efficient in every aspect of what you do, the use of technology, the distribution network, uh, the products that you develop, the way that you serve your customers and make sure they are paying and continue to pay for your products and services over time. So it's, it's all about efficiency and, and all about getting the, the, the squeezing as much as you can from, from the network that we have. In terms of investor sentiments, I think uh, there's still an understanding and an appetite for the fact that off-grid energy systems will, will play a role in the, the global energy mix over the next few decades. And I think that's reflected still in, in you know, still growing uh, investor attention in, in this space, you know, despite some of the failures, but also recognition from them that consolidation does need to happen. As, as, as I mentioned, we acquired a, a business in West Africa doing very similar things to us. Uh, they've been running for, for six or seven years and we're facing some, some difficult challenges from a financing perspective in the last couple of years. So we've, we've stepped in to take over their operations and take over uh, their teams, integrate them into the B-Box brand and, and use that to scale up our distribution network into additional countries where we previously didn't have a presence. And I think there potentially could be more of that happening over the next few years. Uh, there is certainly uh, a role for you know many large players across the 50-odd countries on the continent, um, but uh, you know, probably there are too many today. And, and I think some further consolidation is, is likely to happen. So one of the things that a lot of people, including myself, were worried about uh, a decade back is that uh, you know everybody was pouring in money from Hollywood actors to institutional investors into off-grid companies. And if there was a failure, then they would recoil back. What I'm hearing from you is that people um, understood it was a tough business, but investors still kept putting in money, maybe cautiously, maybe with more uh, diligence, but they didn't recoil back. Yeah, it hasn't been a complete, you know, pullback. I think there has been some some more caution over the last, uh, particularly four or five years since 2019. I think there has been, yeah, as you, as you said, more more diligence there, and and they are looking really to see how individual companies can, as, as any, any good investor would do, how they can you know, profitably use their the funds that are invested to, to get, generate a return. I think what underlying though is the fact that this market is still a huge market, a uh, huge market potential, huge total addressable market that's still available to the, the sector. I think that's at the core of it. And also the fact that we and others in this sector have started to address other the related service challenges, such as access to, to internet, access to, to water, access to transportation services, all these sort of things coming in as uh, additional added values to, to our sector is, is also uh, interesting for, for many of the investors that we work with. In Bbox, we, we describe ourselves as a super platform for essential products and services for customers across the continent. And, and that super platform idea is, is really, the heart of it is, is all about making sure customers can 
with the, the limited dollars they have every day, uh, get access to products and services that drive their household or business forward and do that in, a, in an affordable, sustainable way using servicing and using micropayments to, to help those customers get onto those products. So I think, yeah, there is investor sentiment that has has changed over the last five or six, seven years. I would say, though, that you know, access to, to debt is, is still very, very, uh, there's a lot of debt going around in, in the business, in, in the markets. Um, access to equity is a little bit harder. I think it's probably the, the summary of the last five years. So, you know, equity investors are much more cautious than maybe they were five or six years ago. And, you know, we'll see how that progresses over the next decade. And I do think there is a role for this sector, absolutely. But it's, it's going to be now about those businesses demonstrating good financial performance, you know, robust governance processes as they expand into, into multiple markets like we have. That ability to scale up across multiple markets is, is really going to be a key test for, for many of, of the uh, players in this sector, I think. Just from a management perspective, you know, what are the things that you three founders did in Bbox, which other people should be learning from? I think always refreshing and keeping your product line relevant and, and making sure you're always thinking about what the customer needs. I mean, it's a very basic point, but uh, we, we started with solar home systems. We started with a couple of solar home systems. We've now got a, a whole range of solar home systems serving different use cases, but also that diversification into other products and services was really key. We, we started that back in, in 2018 with our clean cooking program, which we launched around then. And, and that's really helped us to, I guess, stay more relevant to the customer in terms of they know that they can't just, they don't just get access to energy from Bbox. They can get access to, to many core products and services. So again, the limited dollars that they have in their wallet every day to spend on household uh, essentials, they can choose to do that through Bbox because they trust us. They know the products are high quality. They know there's that service. They know there's that financing aspect that comes in uh, and they know they can always get support if there's an issue. So I, I think many of those items are, are really key in terms of what we've done over the last few years, um, and also the, the growth as well. Uh, we're in 10 markets now. It's the, the most of, of any of the, the major players from an on-ground retail presence. Many of the competitors have, have distribution partners in, in many countries, but uh, actually on-ground retail presence with our own brand, our own end-to-end -end logistics processes, our own shop uh, managers, our own, our own agents. You know, we, we are in quite a number of, of markets there, and I think that has helped us to you know, whether any storms that have happened over the last few years, and there have been several with, with COVID and various economic challenges in the last three or four years that's, that's prevailed. Um, you know, if one market has a challenge, we have many others where we can call on, you know, their, their more, maybe more st stability in, in some other markets that we, we can leverage. So I think that's a few things there that we've done over the last 13 years. So Christopher, how was COVID? I mean, talking about storms. Yeah. So in terms of COVID, obviously the customer base uh, across the continent maybe didn't make the news as much as other parts of the world. But yes, of course, COVID has an impact on our customers across the continent. Examples I mean, we saw during 2020, during the first COVID uh, wave, you know, payment sizes that customers were making. So the, the, the amount they were paying per transaction, you know, decreased continuously over that period. But actually the number of payments they were making per month increased. So actually customers, what it showed, were making smaller, more frequent payments, potentially because their incomes maybe were more stressed and they didn't have you know, the capital that they uh, 
know, to call on to, to invest in our products. So, you know, they were making more smaller, more frequent payments over time. And that's potentially as a some of the impacts of COVID that we were seeing throughout our operations. And this is across you know, a state of 700,000 active households across 10 countries. So we, we could see that those trends using the platform that we have. We did have some, some industry associations and, and other bodies were providing some relief schemes for some of our customers. So customers that were unable to, to work or pay for our products during those period, there was a a COVID release scheme set up by a number of investors and partners in the sector. I think it was to the tune of around $30 million. So in the grand scheme of things, not, not huge. But that was to support customers and, and to essentially ensure that if the customer couldn't pay, normally what would happen is that we would go and repossess that product, refurbish it and redeploy it with someone who, who can afford to pay for the product. And what this scheme allowed us to do is to keep those products in the customer's home. So to give them a much longer period of time to get back on their feet and to recover their incomes um, so that they could pay in the future. COVID also allowed us to, or maybe drove us, I guess, to to introduce a lower cost brand as well. So we introduced a new low cost solar home system line specifically targeted at at low income customers with limited features. It doesn't have a lot of the the technology inside that our other products do, uh, but it gives them the basic access that they need, access to, to light, access to phone charging. And that was introduced at the end of the first COVID wave in order to, again, to allow those customers who could only afford a very small amount of money to get access to to basic services. So many things that we did uh, during the COVID period. Um, yeah, it was a difficult time for everyone. And, you know, since then, of course, there's been other challenges that have come about. So, you know, the uh, economic Inflationary pressures have also hit in many of our markets in, in Kenya, for example, food inflation running at 20% has a, has a direct impact on, on many of the poorest households. And also, of course, the climate impact that we shouldn't forget this is essentially where our business came from. But uh, many of our customers are, are at the front line of, of the climate challenges in the world. Droughts and floods are impacting them more than more than any other location. And, and you know, often that, that transfers and manifests itself in in the inability uh, to to pay for our products. So yes, ongoing challenges. It's not an easy business to be in, but it's an essential business. And it's one that, you know, is is something that we should all be aware of because providing energy access is is really the fundamental building block for for human development and economic development around the world. And uh, if we can can crack this in the remaining 800 million people, uh, I think, you know, we we can all be proud of of the uh, the work we're doing. That's a very deep insight, Christopher, for on the markets in Africa. But what about supply chains? What about prices of your product itself? Absolutely. So during, as, as many people are probably aware from consumer goods uh, prices, there was after the first COVID wave, 2021 prices started to rise quite rapidly and as supply chains that had constricted themselves during the first COVID wave, you know, were, were slow to, to sort of re Reinitialize. So the way that manifested for us is that the lithium battery price, for example, that we use in our products, our solar home products, went up quite dramatically during 2021 into, into 2022. Uh, also, the availability of some electronic components. Previously, you know, we could get many of these components on maybe a, a three-month lead time, the very most. You know, there were some that were going to, to 15 months or even even longer. And, and obviously, that's, that's very hard to to plan as a small business or as a growing business, of course, but a small business still for lead times that are more than a year. So these are some of the challenges that we face. Again, introducing new low cost products with simpler technology allowed us to, to navigate around some of those challenges. And we have seen over the last 12 months or so that prices are have come back down. Supply chains have 
have caught up with that, some of that backlog and, and as COVID has, the COVID restrictions have ended in China as well, where many of our, our manufacturing partners are, uh, that's allowed, you know, supply chains to, to reawaken and, and for prices to return to not quite normal yet, but uh, very close to they were back in, in the pre-COVID period. Um, so yeah, again, a difficult period. Many things that we had to do to navigate that, product redesigns, new product introductions, offering different ranges of products to customers that are more economically affordable for them. So And, and really yeah, trying to diversify that product range. So if you did have a stock out in, in one particular area, you, know, you could call on other product lines to, to fill that gap. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenging period, no doubt. You know, I'm going to ask you a few questions on your product and technology, which you started speaking about at the beginning, Christopher. But one thing that I should get out clearly is that your product really depends on internet connectivity, mobile penetration, and mobile money, three technology building blocks, if you may. Now, not all countries have the same infrastructure level, right? As you expanded from one East African country to the others, you know, what was your experience of the different infrastructure levels? Absolutely. So our business uh, is dependent on uh, firstly mobile money. So I can talk maybe firstly about that. And, and so mobile money you know, originated back in, in Kenya in 2009-10. We like to actually describe uh, Kenya as the birthplace of the, the modern fintech industry. It's the, the horror of some people in, in San Francisco. But um, you know, we, we believe that really the M-Pesa revolution there and, and the ability to make a uh, payment between phones was you know, really a driver for us and, and really something that really unlocked our business in East Africa in the early years. The fact that we didn't have to collect cash through our network and one of the challenges and logistical issues that come with that. And that has now propagated itself across the continent. And, and broadly speaking, in almost all markets that we operate in, mobile money is actually now very well adopted. There are some markets where it's still a bit fragmented in terms of players, like in, in Nigeria, where we have, there's many different payment platform providers that operate and, and you can't really sort of integrate with one, two or three. You have to spread yourself quite thinly across different different areas. Um, but generally speaking, you know, there are, I think there's now 300 plus um, mobile money operators or mobile platform providers uh, across the continent in the, in the 50 plus countries on in the continent of Africa. So there is there is good coverage there still at some low income customers. Adoption is is limited and, and often we are the, the people that sign them up potentially to to a mobile money service as part of their adoption of B-Box products. So, yeah, it really we go hand in hand with the mobile money providers and mobile payment providers. It's really essential for our business. Um, and previously, also IoT connectivity was very essential. As I just mentioned, we have now introduced a low-cost brand, which doesn't have an IoT component. It has a, a token-based solution, so customers will get a, a nine-digit code on their phone, which they enter into the pattern they need to unlock it. Uh, it doesn't give us the, the granularity of data we get through the IoT products, and IoT products still make up 85% plus of the, the solar systems that we, we have in the market. But uh, it does allow you to offer a much more affordable and cheaper solution for those very low income, low energy use customers. But yes, the IoT systems that we have. So again, it's a common question we get. Do they work in off-grid areas? And broadly speaking, if you can make a mobile money payment from that customer's household, that product will absolutely connect reliably every day. You know, connection rates are well over 99% every day. And we get great connectivity from the units, uh, primarily because we can switch between different networks in those countries. And we have much larger connectivity solutions like uh, like antennas that uh, that can can increase the coverage uh, that we're able to achieve. So, yeah, there's there's a number of things there that uh, that we've done to improve the 
penetration of our technology into those markets. And the final one there around uh, internet connectivity. So again, many of our customers today have basic feature phones. They, they don't have access to to a smartphone. So for example, in Rwanda recently, we launched a partnership there with major mobile operator, MTN. Uh, and in Rwanda, there's some 23% of customers, uh, people in the country have access to smartphones. So the remaining customers have had access to a basic feature phone. And obviously, we'd like to increase the penetration of smartphones to give people the ability to to communicate and to to get information and to you know do other things with their smartphone to improve the ability to generate income for their household or business. And so that relies on having good internet connectivity. And there can be challenges in accessing high speed internet in those rural areas. But again, countries like Rwanda and East Africa are, are really pushing to expand 4G and another coverage into into those more rural areas. But that still remains a challenge, I would say. Uh, so yeah, mobile money, not so much, much a challenge anymore. The basic IoT connectivity for devices, I wouldn't say that's a challenge. But internet connectivity in, in off-grid areas still is an issue. Uh, it's a vast place, the continent of Africa, and there are many uh, logistical challenges in serving mobile data to all of those locations. But it's something that. Uh, you know, our connectivity partners I know are, are working hard on. Excellent, Christopher. You started talking earlier on about the technology allowing you to provide other services. I think this is a tough time I'm going to ask you to explain to us how this technology works. Sure. So the core of what we're doing really is taking micropayments from customers. So typical payment sizes are around about uh, just under $2 per payment is what we're taking. So and, and using that payment to enable a product or service remotely. So in the case of a solar home system, we convert that payment into credit for their accounts. That could be a number of days or in larger systems, it could be an amount of energy in kilowatt hours or watt hours. And we use that to then enable that product or service to be used for that period of time. And we do that using this, either this idea technology, so sending a message remotely to that box, or we, we generate a code which the, the customer enters into the box manually to unlock it for a certain period of time. So essentially, that's the core of what we're doing, distributed network of, of systems that are provided on finance to, to our customers. And that, that approach can be then transferred to many different products and services. For example, in the, the clean water space, we have products and services deployed mainly in West Africa today. So there's a number of uh, solar water pumps that we have there that are used on a similar method. Customers will pay per day, per week or per month, depending on how they they choose to do so and, and that solar water pump will unlock and use and work for that that period of time that they've been enabled same for a, a smartphone you install a piece of software in the smartphone that allows the customer to use it for a period of time and then when that credit has run out it will provide a, a screen there for them to make an additional payment and, and that helps them to progressively purchase and unlock the device over a period of time eventually obviously achieving ownership of the unit so they can use it freely, but it, it helps to them to, to affordably pay for those units over a period of time. So that's essentially the heart of what we're doing, taking micropayments, uh, switching on and off products or services remotely, and then providing the support network around that so that customers, if they do have an issue with any of those products or services, can, can get a replacement free of charge, can get service, can get support. That's available through our network of 220 Retail outlets, there's more than a thousand people in the team engaged in the in the service and, and sales side of the business. And we have a network of some 3,000 uh, agents as well that work with us to, to be on the front line with those customers, so to get those customers signed up to the platform. So uh, yeah, that's, that's essentially a summary of, of how we've applied that technology to those new products and services. And, and essentially, it's all driven by that need that customers 
have some fixed disposable amount of income that they can afford to spend on, on essential products or services? And, and how can Bbox provide a much higher quality service than what they're used to? So I'll give you an example in the clean cooking space. Customers might be used to cooking on charcoal or wood. How can they transfer to more modern fuels, cleaner energy solutions for cooking? And how can they do that in an affordable and uh, reliable way? This is the, the work we've been doing with our clean cooking program now for the last four or five years uh, and has, has scaled that up primarily in the DRC where we have, I think we really are the largest now provider of, of clean cooking solutions in Eastern Congo. And we're scaling that up across other markets, including in Rwanda and uh, in Kenya as well. I mean, this is very interesting because one thing what I'm hearing you say is that the pay-as-you-go technology, which is essentially you know, taking micropayments and switching off and on products and services, is now allowing people to use solar pumps. So will this, for example, allow people to use things like solar dryers, chillers, mm. and so on and so forth? Absolutely. So I think the, the phrase that's used in the industry is, is pay-go-everything. It's the, the phrase that's used. And, and that essentially, again, is applying that pay-go technology to a huge range of products or services that were or could be otherwise unaffordable for those customers. You know, just for example, a, you know, a, a very large fridge solution with solar uh, panels and, and batteries to power it during the night. This could be you know, an $1,000 retail price. That's something that is potentially very difficult for many customers to afford. But put that on a payment plan over 24 to 36 months and, and it can become more accessible to customers and to households. And that applies, obviously, to other products and services like the ones you've you just mentioned. I still say there is some, some challenges in the fact that, you know, those very large products or services, they still do have a, a limited market potential. You know, there are only so many customers who, who do want very large dryers or, or machinery or other large agricultural equipment, potentially. So, you know, the addressable market size there is still limited and we, it does often require, particularly for productive use systems, you know, other government support potentially and, and, and schemes to help those customers get onto those those products or services. So, for example, the water pumping program that we have in, in Togo, there is some good government support there to assist smallhold farmers to, to get access to these products or services with a subsidy scheme to enable them to generate income or increase their incomes through increased yields from their farms. So there are... You know, other things that maybe might might be needed yeah, for these large, very large products or services, particularly in, in off-grid areas where incomes are still still a challenge. But if there was a customer who, let's say, a cooperative or a group of farmers coming together with some governmental support to buy this hypothetical solar fridge, which costs thousand dollars, your technology could support it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we do that today. We have you know, several thousand water pumps running across Togo on, on the platform. We've also expanded into e-mobility products. So electric motorbikes uh, in East Africa and other parts of West Africa are well, as well as starting to take off. So uh, particularly in Rwanda, there are a number of companies, which Bbox is part of that, that network, providing access to electric motorbikes. Again, these are expensive items, something that will take customers, you know, many months or even years to, to save up for. But uh, if you can put that on a, a financing plan and apply that technology of, of micropayments and the ability to track and monitor and manage those systems remotely, it allows those customers to get onto those products or services faster and to do that in a sustainable way, both economically for, for us and, and for the customer and also uh, sustainable in terms of the, the management of those products or services. So if there are issues or problems, we can detect those early and we can 
can provide solutions to, to solve their challenges. So yeah, we're applying that technology to, to many different product lines that it would be traditionally out of reach for our customers from an affordability perspective. And again, that, it's all with the intention of, of uh, enabling those customers to, to unlock the potential of their households, their businesses, and scale up and, and generate new income streams to progress and, and grow their, their livelihoods. And that's really the core mission of what Bbox is, is about. So obviously you now work with a range of products, but uh, one thing then that puzzles me is that you consider yourself a vertically integrated company. You can't be doing all these products by being totally vertically integrated. Yeah. So we don't, so there are some things we don't do. Uh, we are very ambitious. It's one of the uh, the, uh, the values of Bbox's ambition to grow and to, to move into new product lines, into new business areas into new countries and geographies as well, but we don't do everything. So we don't actually manufacture these some of these products ourselves. We didn't make design many of them and work on the integration with our software platform. But actually we work with many manufacturing partners in Asia and in China to, to get those products produced at, at volume. So we do that. And we also work with other partners locally on the ground who will provide access to certain product streams, such as Obviously, we don't make our own smartphones. We procure those through through well-known trusted brands, install the technology on there to, to help those customers progressively purchase those, those units. Um, so there are many things that we don't do, but we do operate a network of some 220 retail outlets across the continent. And these, these serve a dual purpose, really. One is an advertising and, and a brand recognition piece for customers to come and experience the products. But secondly, as a mini logistics hub for that local area for customers who are in very rural areas to, to come and, and gain access to these products, uh, get replacements, uh, get new products or services, get upgrades from those locations. So obviously, the logistics network is probably the the unseen pillar, really, of the, the B-Box business over the last few years. You know, we spent a lot of time and, and effort and money in investing into those logistics networks. And again, leveraging that network to sell new products or services has been a, a conscious decision of us over the last five or six years and to diversify and, and add in new products or services. So not just having solar in those shops now, but having clean cooking, having smartphones, having e-bikes, having water pumps, having other products or services that uh, our customers want and need. And using that logistics network that we built to serve the solar solar distribution part to leverage that for these new product lines. So that's, that is the, the two main pillars really of the, the B-Box business today. Number one, the, the platform that we use to manage all of these customers and the payments. And that's really the the technology platform that we're heavily invested in. And the second pillar is the logistics and distribution network to make sure those products or services that we procure from our partners can be then distributed out in a reliable and sustainable way to our customers. But then Christopher, there is a third pillar as well, right? The financing that you provide to customers. And the financing leads to the fact that you have to raise all the debt on your own books, probably in foreign currency, and then lend that money in local currency, you know, that lends itself to certain risks. Yeah, and that remains one of the, the key challenges for scaling up the, the sector is the, the financial structures that are in place to uh, to help businesses like ours scale. Uh, and we've, you know, we've been in, trying to innovate and, and, and find new ways of, of structuring things over the last few years. You know, many years ago, we did the first uh, securitization of receivables from our customers, packaged that up into a uh, an SPV and, and sell that off to an investor to generate new capital to then reinvest into, into scaling the business. Um, so we've done things like that and tried to be innovative in, in the ways that we can to, to generate new income streams, um, sorry, new, new financial methods for the business to scale. But certainly it is it is a core challenge. I mean, if I look at the the teams that we have in, in Bbox, there are you know many people working on solving those challenges with our, with our investors and partners. How can we put in place really scalable 
sustainable financial instruments uh, that can be matched with the payment profiles of our customers and the geographies in which we work in. You mentioned as well the the challenges with local currency and, and devaluation of those local currencies uh, versus the US dollar. It's certainly a, a very common challenge that we have, particularly in places like Nigeria and Ghana, where we are, who've experienced you know, some real challenges over the last 12 to 18 months from that perspective. Um, so yeah, working with our financial partners, there's no easy way around some of these challenges. Uh, you have to factor that in into the pricing for the customer. And that does make things much more expensive, but we do need to find you know, new ways of working on that. Yeah, a call to action there, a challenge for, for your listeners is, is really in, in this space. It is one of the, the big still remaining challenges is how to provide real scalable uh, finance for our sector that can unlock the, the hundreds of millions of people that need access to these products or services. And yeah, it's still even 13 years on remains something that we are battling hard at uh, at solving. 13 years on, and we still have the problem of providing scalable debt to companies like you in local currency, in local markets. And that's in some ways, it's a bit of a shame, to be honest, that we haven't solved the problem, because that's the problem that you uh, Theoretically, we all know how to solve. Christopher, it's been a wonderful conversation. It's been obviously very uh, special for me. As I said, in the beginning of my career, I met you in, in Hong Kong airport. I don't know whether you remember that. And then I checked up to your office. Uh, I think it was your old office at the end of Piccadilly Line to see you know, all the systems in, on that map out there. It's particularly special to talk to you and see how far you have come and how far the industry has come. Thank you for inviting me down here. And, and as you said, 13 years on, following a similar path in our careers and you know, great to, to reconnect after all this time and share with you and, and the listeners some experiences that we've had and hopefully there's some interesting things that people have heard. Yeah, I mean, my only hope is that seven years later we will be doing another podcast and I'm sure we'd have new challenges, but we look back at these older challenges and say they are all solved. Absolutely. In, in seven years' time, the UN Sustainable Development Goals that were, were set in 2015 to be achieved by 2030, they should be all be achieved. I mean, <laughs> many of them will not be. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's that's a good opportunity to look back and see you know, how the, both the private and public sector has progressed over that time period and into achieving those, those sustainability development goals. Wonderful. Thank you, Christopher. One final question before I let you go. If people want to connect with you, which I'm sure they will, how should they? You can reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, it's probably the best place, at CBakerBrian. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn if that's easier. Thank you again. Thanks very much, Sanjoy. Great to be here. If you like this podcast, do visit us on regainparadise.org, regainparadise.com. Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And you can also subscribe to these podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, and YouTube.